Hello. Um, thanks for joining us today. As we continue the Jesus story, I'm doing a series on the Jesus story. Last time we looked at the Jesus story through Mary's eyes, and today we're looking at the Jesus story through Peter's eyes. And we're learning to shift from fear to faith. There's a lot of fear going around, um, you know, with a, with the rising number of cases of COVID-19 here in Victoria and around the world, the fear of further restrictions, fear of economic recession, fear of social isolation, fear of the future, because it's so uncertain. How can we overcome our fears and live by faith during these uncertain times? To answer that question, I want to look at Simon Peter, who was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, because he uh, is, a, is a, an individual who went from experiencing fear to becoming fearless and living by faith. Um, and so I want to focus a little bit on, on Simon. Can I have a clicker, please? Um, Simon was born in uh, Bethsaida, which is on the Sea of Galilee, and Bethsaida actually means house of fishing. So it's not surprising that Simon's father, Jonas, was a fisherman, Simon's older brother, Andrew, was a fisherman, and Simon himself was a fisherman. Now, whenever Simon would go out fishing or when he was in the marketplace selling and trading, um, there would be two topics of conversation that was popular in the day that he would participate in. One was politics. The fact that the Roman um, Empire had subjugated Israel, and now that they were under Roman rule, they had to pay lots of taxes. They had to pay toll tax. They had to uh, pay, you know, uh, merchant tax for every time they sold something. Um, they had to pay housing tax, and so politics and and their their longing for freedom from this political oppression was something they they talked about a lot. And of course, the second thing they talked about was religion. They always talked about the Messiah, how for ages, for hundreds of years, God had promised that he would send the Messiah who would deliver them from their oppression. And for them, that meant deliverance from the Roman rule. And um, so Simon grew up with this climate. And, you know, once he grew up, he got married. He moved out to Capernaum, which is another town on, on the Sea of Galilee, not too far from his hometown. And it was there around 25 AD that he would have first heard the echoes of a voice crying out in the wilderness, the voice of John the Baptist saying, prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is here. And Simon would have heard that voice. He would have gone out to visit John the Baptist and, and he and his older brother, Andrew, and his friends, James and John, who were also fishermen, would have all um, heard this message and would have been anticipating when is the Messiah coming? Who is he going to be? And a few years later, around AD 27, Simon's older brother, Andrew, came running to him one day saying, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. And I imagine Simon feeling great excitement and wonder and curiosity as, as he hurried to where Jesus was staying. And when he first saw him, I wonder if at first Simon was a bit disappointed. After all, Jesus looked like any other 30-year-old Judean. But as Simon got a little bit closer and he made eye contact with Jesus, Jesus looked straight into his eyes and said, You are Simon, son of Jonas, but you shall be called Cephas, Peter, a rock. How did he know? How did Jesus know that the greatest desire in Peter's heart was to have that steady 
rock-like faith and security in God? How did he know that one of his greatest weaknesses was that he was so fueled by fear and doubt and anger that he was always vacillating between choices, not knowing between right and wrong? Jesus gave him this new name, Cephas, which is the Aramaic form of, the, of Peter, which is the Greek version. They both mean stone or rock. And through this new name, Jesus gave Peter, Simon Peter, a hope, a promise, and a calling to be different. And for the next three and a half, uh, three and a half years while Simon followed Jesus, there were many moments when he was Simon, the impulsive, outspoken, quick-tempered one. But there were also many moments when he was Peter, the steady, dependable, courageous one. And sometimes he was Simon Peter. And it's interesting when you look throughout the scriptures, um, when Jesus calls him Simon and when Jesus calls him Peter and when he calls him Simon Peter. Simon Peter's name is mentioned, either Simon Peter or Simon Peter. His name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except for Jesus. Apart from Jesus, no one speaks as often as Simon Peter, and no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Simon Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly, and yet no other disciple denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Simon Peter did. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, and at the same time, no other disciple is as blessed and affirmed by the Lord as Peter. Peter asks more questions than all the other disciples combined, and he experienced more miracles than all the other disciples. There are four lists of the 12 disciples in the New Testament, and in all four lists, Simon Peter is listed first. He was a natural leader. But one of the things that Simon Peter is perhaps most well known for is the fact that he denied Jesus three times. When the Roman soldiers arrested Jesus, all the disciples fled. But Peter and John actually followed Jesus into uh, the high priest's home. John enters in and is, is publicly with Jesus. But Peter, he's, he's scared. And so he follows from a distance and he kind of stays in the courtyard. And he's hoping to, to stay anonymous. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 onwards. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also are with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows thrice, twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Why did Peter deny Jesus three times? Peter had witnessed so many miracles. He, he was so close to Jesus. Why did he deny him three times? He, he was scared. He was fearful of rejection, fearful of imprisonment, torture, persecution, perhaps even death. He didn't want to suffer with Jesus. 
Fast forward fifty days, and the same servant girl who heard Peter denying Jesus three times was amazed and couldn't believe her eyes and ears as Peter stood up and spoke to the crowd in Jerusalem boldly, preaching about Jesus. And the very same rulers who arrested Jesus arrested Peter, brought him in for questioning, and they, and they threatened him, saying, "Don't preach about Jesus anymore." And they expected this Peter. They knew that this was the Peter who denied Jesus. They expected Peter to cower and to go away. But instead, this is how he responds in Acts chapter four and Acts chapter five. When they, he he says, "No, I will continue to preach." When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to Him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We must obey God rather than human beings. What happened to Peter? Fifty days before, he was denying Jesus because he was so afraid. But now he's boldly proclaiming Him, knowing full well that he could be imprisoned and killed, just as Jesus was. What happened to move Peter from being fearful to being so faithful, to being、uh, so afraid, to being so bold? We're born with flight or fight instincts, right? When we perceive a threat, those instincts kick in. When we find out about the daily cases, right? As, as I check the news, I'm always like, oh, I wonder what the what the number is going to be today. News. Um, you know the headlines always say things that are a bit fearful. I think yesterday's, you know, one of the headlines was saying, you know, no one is safe, right?、Um, personal experiences and news of financial difficulties and unemployment cause us fear. Bills, deaths, and illnesses of ourselves or loved ones, violence, spiders, heights, public speaking—all these things cause fear. Is your heart beating faster yet? The palms of your hand getting a bit sweaty. The part, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala that triggers this chain reaction. That when there's a, a you know threat that is perceived, it makes our blood pressure rise, our muscles tense, our pupils dilate, and this is all normal response to potential threat. But when we stay in that place of fear for a prolonged time, or that fear becomes irrational or intensified, it can really debilitate us physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, and spiritually. And fear is contagious. Remember all that panic buying over toilet paper, right? Fear is contagious. Anxiety is contagious.、Uh, scientists have studied that. Research has shown that you know if if you have parents or a close You know, people in your family who have anxiety that you're likely to to、um, experience it or or struggle with it as well, because fear is contagious in the sense that we we can learn fear from our environment. And so, fear is something that that really、um, assails us from all sides. And in his book, *The Science of Fear or Risk*,、uh, journalist Dan Gardner demonstrates how irrational fear springs from the way that humans. Miscalculate risk, and I like how he changed the cover because I think people were scared of the spider.、Um, so he, he, there's the same book, different covers. 
And he opens the book with an analysis of the American public's fear of flying in the wake of September 11, 2001. And he talks about how, um, you know, because because of the plane hijacking and, and all the trauma that, that it caused, people after September 11 were scared to take to fly in an airplane. So they would drive instead of getting an airplane. But the problem is that driving is actually a lot riskier than flying. Um, apparently, some some uh, professor calculated the risks. They calculated if one plane is hijacked every month, the chances of you dying in that um, crash is still one in about 135,000. Whereas if you drive, the chances of you being killed by a car crash is one in 6,000. So even if there is a hijack once a, one plane every month, the chances of dying is still um, higher in a, in a car than in a plane. But people were scared of getting on a plane. And so in the year after September 11, um, there were a lot more people traveling by car than by plane. And uh, Dan Garner reports that in that year, uh, while it took about a year for people to go back to normal travel patterns, there were an excess, he calls, so more than average, of 1,595 deaths. And so he says, he claims that six, oh, nearly 1,600 people died because of their fear. He, he called it the irrational fear because it's not actually um, risk calculation um, rational. And, you know, we're living through this pandemic, and so there's rational fears, but there's also irrational fears all around us and within us. So how can we overcome this culture of anxiety and all this fear that we're surrounded by? A major factor in how we experience fear has to do with the context. So going back to the brain, the hippocampus, which is um, you know, a part of the brain that's dedicated to memory storage, it helps control the fear response along with the prefrontal cortex, which is part of the brain involved in high-level decision-making and risk calculation. So these are the thinking parts of the brain. And basically, the, the, um, uh, the hippocampus is, is thinking, hey, have I been through this before? Did I survive? And the prefrontal cortex is calculating, hey, what are the risks? What are the actual facts here? And am I safe? So for example, seeing a real crocodile in the wild can trigger a very strong reaction. But seeing a picture uh, tells that thinking part of the brain says, oh, phew, this is not a real crocodile, right? The children are not in danger. Um, it's just a picture. It's a visual illusion. And so then it calms down. The amygdala tells the amygdala, don't stress, enjoy it, smile, relax. And that's why people can enjoy scary movies, um, roller coaster rides, skydiving, anything that sounds to me extremely scary, but people enjoy it because their thinking brain and their um, hippocampus, the memory is telling the rest of the brain, calm down, this is actually quite safe or this is quite fun. And so what makes a situation safe is determined and, and what calms down the fear is determined by the context and how reliable the various factors are in helping you calculate risk. How strong is that seatbelt? How many times uh, does that seatbelt malfunction? Have I been safe in this roller coaster ride before? How reliable is the machine and the ride operator, right? Those are all things that help us determine the context of safety. And so the first strategy for overcoming fear is what we trust has to be greater than what we fear. What we trust has to be greater than what we fear because we can't control what we fear, 
we're going to feel fear because there's stimuli telling us there are threats. But what we then can do is increase what we trust. So, for example, let's return to Peter. You know, the threat was the same 50 days before and 50 days after imprisonment, torture, persecution, death. So the threat is the same. But what's changed is that what he trusts in has grown bigger. You see, in those 50 days, Jesus had resurrected from the grave, showing Peter that Jesus has power over death, that he has power over that eternal separation from God. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, empowering everyone through the Holy Spirit. You see, in those 50 days, Peter had received the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit had come to him in a mighty, mighty way, strengthening him, empowering him, giving him that boldness and that courage. What Peter trusted has now become greater than what Peter fears. Whom Peter trusts has become greater than whom Peter fears. And that's why he's able to say, we have to obey God rather than men. Because now he's saying, I trust God more than I trust mankind. And, and in, a, in essence, he respects and reveres God more than he fears man. The threat was the same, but the context had changed. And that's why Peter is able to write to the Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire through persecution. He writes in First Peter chapter 3, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In some other translations, it says, but in your hearts, fear Christ as Lord. In other words, don't fear God, uh, the mankind and what they can do to you, but fear, respect, revere, and understand that God is holy, that God is great, that he is powerful. In another, another verse, in First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power for, excuse me, forever and ever. Amen. The threats were still there, but for Simon Peter, he understands that God will restore you and give you that strength to be like Peter the rock, right? To, to make you steadfast, to make you strong. And so Simon Peter preached boldly for Christ for the rest of his days. In fact, he and his wife, um, you know, we don't hear a lot about Peter's wife, but she is mentioned in the Bible as having traveled with him on these mission trips, having supported him, and the two of them together uh, went around the Roman Empire sharing about Jesus. And the early church historian Eusebius says that they were both arrested around uh, 65 AD under the Roman Emperor Nero. And they were both crucified. Um, apparently, Peter's wife was crucified first. And they forced Peter to watch her death. And Peter conducted himself with such courage that a Roman jailer was moved to believe in Jesus. And when it was Peter's turn to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he felt he was unworthy to die in the same way as Jesus Christ. This is what uh, Eusebius reports. So to the end, right, Peter's trust and confidence in God was greater than his fears. The fears might never have gone away, but his trust had just grown bigger. Secondly, Peter understood that love is stronger than fear. After, Jesus, uh, after Peter denied Jesus three times, 
Remember, he wept. And I, I, I feel for him, right? How his heart must have broken, knowing that he had betrayed his best friend, his Lord and his Savior. He knew that Jesus knew that he knew, right? And so the heartbreak, the weeping that Peter went through, just feeling so ashamed of his own weakness, right? Feeling so ashamed of his failure. Feeling probably ashamed in front of the other disciples because, let's face it, when you mess up, it's not easy to be with those around you know you who know that you've messed up. And the other disciples probably didn't really know what to say to him, right? On the one hand, they ran away too, so they they're not they don't have anything to boast about. But on the other hand, I'm sure they judged him for having denied Jesus so publicly. And when the women ran Sunday morning to Peter's house and announced Jesus is alive, we've seen him. You know, we've seen the angels. Um, he's alive. On the one hand, I'm sure Peter felt so elated that Jesus is alive. But on the other hand, he would have felt a bit of trepidation. How does Jesus feel about me? How, what, what am I going to say to him? And when Peter saw Jesus, when Jesus appeared to them, you know, I'm sure Peter wanted to say, I'm sorry, but there wasn't a chance. He was perhaps too embarrassed and there's lots of other people around. Jesus appears to Peter another time. This time, Peter um, decides, you know what, I'm going to go fishing. Clear my head, you know, just I'm going to go fishing. So some of the others come along, they're going fishing, and, and Jesus appears to them again. And once again, he helps them uh, catch a miraculous number of fish. And Jesus actually makes them breakfast uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And after they've finished eating, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, he calls him Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? And I imagine Simon Peter kind of swallowing a big lump in his throat as he answers quietly, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus answered, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asks Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And he answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. No more bold declarations. You know, before Peter used to say, even if all others betray you, Lord, I will stand faithfully by your side. You know, I will die for you, Peter used to say. But no bold declarations, just, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And then it goes on to say in John chapter 21, verse 17 to 19, third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I say, tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. When Jesus repeats three times that question, do you love me? It hurts Peter because he, he knows. This is a direct reference to the three times that Peter denied Jesus. But the beautiful thing about this dialogue, this exchange, is that Jesus is communicating to Peter each time, hey, I forgive you. Not only do I forgive you, but I trust you. I actually trust you to feed my sheep, to take care of my people, to lead my disciples. So Peter, I'm empowering you to be that rock, 
to be different, to be led by me, follow me. And Peter understands through this dialogue that love is stronger than fear. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, that says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Perfect love expels all fear because love is stronger than fear. No matter how big and great our fears are, if we increase the love, if we experience that greater love, it can cast out that fear. Peter was able to be bold for Jesus because he experienced the love of Jesus. And in his love for Jesus, he was willing to face his fears and to continue to be brave and bold for him. You know, I'm actually afraid of heights. And I didn't grow up um, doing things to challenge that fear. <laughs> I didn't ride a bike. I didn't go rock climbing. I didn't really play a lot of sports. To be honest, I wasn't very physically active. I was a bookworm. My idea of adventure is going outside in Melbourne without an umbrella. Or parking in a 1P, even though I know that meeting is going to go for more than that. A few years ago when Micah was learning to ride his bike, I tried to learn. Roy tried to teach me on his bike. I fell. I was like, nope, not doing it anymore. And so Mike, uh, so Micah used to go on bike rides with Roy. The two of them would go out and I would stay home with Joshua, who was still little anyway. But then Joshua grew up and this year Joshua learned how to ride a bike. And after a few weekends of Roy taking the boys out, um, at first it was nice, ah, the house to myself, very relaxing. But then I was like, they would come back home and they would tell me what they did. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not with them. You know, they're having these family outings without a member of the family. So I made a decision that shocked all those who know me well. I went out and bought a bike. And so I bought this bike and I've been riding it, um, basically every week, sometimes every other day with, with Micah nowadays, not, now that he's home. Um, and so I've, I've gone biking. I, I've even, I even rode Micah's scooter on a pump track. I had no idea what a pump track was. Now I know. I don't like them. I even went to a velodrome for the first time in my life, even though it terrified me when Micah was like, let's go around, see how high we can go. I'm like, okay. And inside I'm terrified. I, but I did it. And I even tried riding Roy's electric skateboard for about three seconds, but I was on it. <laughs> Why? Why did I do all these things that terrify me? Because I love my boys. And I want to be with them as they create these memories. And I want to show them that my love for them is greater than my fears. The opposite of fear is not courage or even peace. The opposite of fear is love. Remember that amygdala in the brain that triggers stress hormones? Well, there's another hormone, or a, a, it's called a love molecule by, by people, is oxytocin. And oxytocin modulates 
or regulates the amygdala. Oxytocin is produced when people make eye contact, um, when they touch each other, or, or even when you think of someone you love, the oxytocin releases those happy feelings and, and, and it actually, um, sends, uh, signals back to the brain that reduce the blood pressure, right? That reduce that, all those, uh, trigger effects of fear. Arthur C. Brooks, who's a senior fellow at the Harvard Business School, wrote an article last week for The Atlantic entitled, Love is Medicine for Fear. And this is what he wrote. He said, our current fear problem is not due to a proliferation of threats. Despite all the troubles we face, as my Harvard colleague Stephen Pinker has shown, the world of the 21st century is safer for the vast majority of us than the world of previous eras, current pandemic aside. The real issue is that we have too little love in our lives to protect us against our fears. You know, last night, Joshua had nightmares. So he woke up four times. <laughs> and, you know, the first time he woke up, he, he was crying out because of the nightmare. And I ran over to him and he was just like clutching onto me. Please sleep with me, he said. And and he's like stroking my hair, trying to, trying to get me to stay, right? Because he knows instinctively that love is stronger than fear. He knows that if I'm with him, right, giving him shelter, holding his hand, he's going to feel better. Love is stronger than fear. And, and, the, and although, the, although what's happening around us is creating greater fear, the real problem is that there's an epidemic of loneliness and lovelessness that's growing at the same time, that's making this situation exponentially worse. Not only are we having lack of physical touch because of the social distancing, but because of all the fears, instead of, instead of being kind and instead of showing love, we're becoming hoarders, right? The panic buying. We're, we're becoming, um, very, you know, selfish in some sense. And, and it's, it's not selfish to, to protect and be careful, but I'm talking about individuals and instances where we are selfish, right? We're thinking of ourselves instead of, um, being kind. And so the solution to our current culture of fear, is not, you know, let's suppress the fear, but it's let's increase the love. And love can be expressed in many ways. Even though we can't touch each other, there's other ways that you can increase oxytocin. All of these following things have been scientifically proven to increase oxytocin. Telling someone that you love them, right? Telling them over the phone, video, telling them over a 1.5 meter distance that you love them, that you care for them. Even a text message saying, hey, I love you. I care about you. I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you can increase oxytocin. Old-fashioned snail mail, care packages, flowers, gifts. You know, someone made lasagna and, and gave it to us yesterday. I'm so happy, right? My oxytocin level went way up to now. I don't have to cook lunch today. Um, and I got chocolate chip cookies the other day and the best chocolate chip cookies ever. Delicious. Made the whole family very, very happy. Right? There's so many ways that we can show uh, care and love for each other, um, even through this pandemic, because perfect love casts out fear. It's time to increase our love. We can't change what's happening around us. The future is, is uncertain, but we can increase our love for each other and our time with God so that we can experience his love for us. And our, and our understanding and, and experience of love will intensify. 
We can also grow our confidence in God by increasing our knowledge of God and our experience with Him. Remember that first tip strategy is, you know, the greater the fear, the greater our trust has to be. The greater our our dependence and confidence in a factor that is reliable. And that's why the poet David was able to say in Psalm chapter twenty-three, verse four, a verse that we know very well, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. God's presence for for David is enough. It's it's more than enough for the fears that he is facing. In Psalm chapter twenty-seven, David also writes, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?" The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord: this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the days of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent, and set me high. Upon a rock, you know. When David says, "You know, I, I'm gonna, I, I want to go into the house of the Lord," he knows, you know what? I've got all these threats, but if I'm in the house of the Lord, the the fears, right? The amygdala is modulated. The fears come down because he's able to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And the house of the Lord is not a building; it's not a physical place. You know, in the New Testament, God says, "You, the church, are the temple of God." You, the church community, are the family of God. It's the house of God, and so as as we, as a church community, come together to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, right? As we talk about and encourage each other by looking at God's faithfulness and His power, our understanding and and faith in God grows to become bigger than our fears. So I want to challenge you to two things this week. One, you know, Roy mentioned in the beginning how、um, in August we want to do a Bible reading challenge, fourteen days, where we read through the Book of Psalms,、uh, a few chapters of this Book of Psalms together, and you can actually listen to it. You know, for those of you who are doing the walking and running Nike challenge,、um, you can you can as you're walking listen to the Bible, listen to the、um, Bible studies, and and that's. You know, two two birds with one stone. You're able to increase your health physically and spiritually. And so, one challenge is to grow your understanding of God, so that God becomes bigger than our fears. And the second challenge I want to、um, invite you to join is to increase your love by showing love to someone this week,、um, whether it's someone in your family or in our church family or even a stranger. You know, make a scarf for the homeless.、Um, Get a beanie for someone who's cold, you know. Make some food for someone who lives alone or is elderly or vulnerable. Drop it off for them, and so increase your confidence and faith in God, and increase the love that you receive from God and experience with others. And as a result, I pray that you'll be able to experience faith and hope and love instead of fear. Roy is going to be sharing、um, a special item, a song with you, and if you know the song, feel free to sing along in the comfort of your home.、Um, and after the after the song, we'll have a prayer for you.
So this song is called Here Again um, by Elevation Worship. And I'm just going to ask Jin how to go through the slides as I sing this song. Can't go back to the beginning Can't control what tomorrow will bring But I know here in the middle Is a place where you promise to be Not enough Unless you come Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want Is all you are Will you meet me here again? As I walk now through the valley Let your love rise above every fear Like the sun shaping the shadow In my weakness your glory appears Not enough Unless you come Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want Is all you are Will you meet me here again? I'm not enough Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Oh. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. 
not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Please join me in closing prayer. Downy Father, we're living in a time where there's a lot of things that cause us fear and anxiety. But Father, help us to understand that you are greater than all of that. Help us to increase our understanding and experience with you so that even while our fears increase, you increase in our minds and our hearts and our lives. And Father, also increase our love for you, our love for each other. Help us to express it. Help us to identify it and own it and share it and multiply it, Father God. For love is stronger than fear and and love is what we need in this world. Love is what is going to convince people that our experience with you is different and it's something to, to be shared. It's something to be desired. And so, Father God, we ask for you to help us to meet those challenges this week and help us in this time to really be intentional about showing love and about spending time with you. I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.